Yes, welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Gage Clark. So I want to talk about something that's been bothering me for quite a while. It's the idea that um, mental illness, for the most part, is the byproduct of social and cultural um, effects. So let's take the example of schizophrenia, which is usually seen as a very severe disorder that it couldn't. You would think it couldn't possibly be not a real disorder, right? So, what I think schizophrenia is, is I think that we all have a need for culture, um, and not necessarily ethnic culture, I'm not talking about this, but our memes are culture, religion is culture, even science is culture. And there are certain types of culture that are standardized among most of the population and um, there are subcultures and I think all it really is is norms and knowledge uh, in some sense and I think what happens is individuals with schizophrenia are deprived of culture which is something that we seek intensely. So the individual with schizophrenia will tend to create their own cultures. And so with non-schizophrenics, I think what happens is they are are part of some culture, let's say a church, a person in a church who is accepted and who also believes all of the same ideas as all the other people in the church um, will feel this sense of culture that I'm talking about. They will feel a sense that they know something and everyone is in agreement with this knowledge that and this gives them comfort that they aren't alone in their ideas and their thoughts and i think what the schizophrenic is is someone who is alone in their ideas and thoughts and it's not necessarily that they are born in a way that de- causes them to deviate which i do think is the case for many of them but i think there are many other cases where that is not true. For example, immigration is linked. People who are immigrants have a higher rate of developing schizophrenia, as do minority groups. And I think this is really telling because um, these groups are are part of a... They're entering the world of a mainstream culture that does not um, necessarily accept their way of thinking. They oftentimes may just not know what the minority culture is like. I think that is very often the case. But there is also the case of people rejecting their culture. And and it's really interesting. So I know I know people whose parents are immigrants, first generation immigrants, and their parent 
what ended up being schizophrenic. And I know my uh, one of my friends who is African American and was um, who ended up schizophrenic eventually, and it's it's really tragic. And I noticed though that as a friend was talking to me about my the friend who turned schizophrenic. Um, he told me that he thinks part of the problem was that the lack of a kind of a certain kind of culture caused African Americans to develop their own culture in the void of it, and that these other cultures sort of teach a different way of life for which the mainstream rejects, and that our friend who became schizophrenic is a byproduct of the conflict that this causes because he is entering, he, he's going through school and spending time with other people who are not in agreement with his culture. He becomes, in some sense, isolated. And, and I think that, I think when we look at something like we can look at a culture like religion where i think so so let me let me backtrack a little bit so with schizophrenia i think it's essentially cultural deprivation that causes these people to crave the development of their own culture and what happens is they'll create something that doesn't agree with the mainstream culture, maybe sometimes because that individual didn't agree with that culture. So in the case of veganism, for example, the mainstream might have decided that the the vegan movement is schizophrenic on some level until it becomes popular enough and when the mainstream is educated enough to understand that the viewpoint is not crazy, then they become more accepted and non-schizophrenic. And with religion, I think it provides a sense of culture for which individuals don't need to come up with their own ideas, and this is easy, and that's one of the motivations, and it's also comforting to know that everyone else is agreeing and that there's no threat of being outcast, there's no threat of rejection, and, and you can even see in the symptoms of schizophrenia these rejection qualities that I'm talking about. You can see that a lot of the behavior is defensiveness and attempts to justify differential belief systems. And for example, schizophrenics will often uh, have a heightened sense of belief in their own uh, worldviews that are different from others, and these are described as delusions. And I think part of it is that they are so accustomed to other people disagreeing and rejecting their position that they have decided to use a kind of psychological manipulation tactic where in which they um, self-proclaim that it's more more of a valid position than they even believe it to be. I think almost everyone does this kind of thing. You can see it in children who are arguing, where you can 
imagine like a kid who knows or expects other people not to believe a certain fact will hype up the truth of that claim and um, I think this happens in politics especially where I don't think politicians know the outcome of what their let's say their presidency or their leadership will be but if they market it as something that they're not certain of they will definitely be rejected no one wants an unconfident leader and so I think that being deviant of these mainstream cultures or whatever culture is relevant to their environment even if we could say like a subculture someone in a subculture can be rejected from that even it just depends where they live their geography and stuff like this I think when these people are rejected they they when they form their own culture they end up being their own representative of their culture they're forced into a kind of politics where they must justify their position because it's different and i think this is something that just naturally occurs if someone believes something different other people will expect an explanation or expect you to submit to the mainstream idea otherwise you will be labeled as crazy and I think the problem becomes more pronounced with someone who is uneducated and I think that problem would become even more so amongst minority cultures that aren't English speaking in America for example so those people will be more prone to being isolated in this sense Okay, so I'm going to move on to another idea. Um, so I noticed that uh, there's this image that I have, uh, a photo that I took a while ago where, from my perspective, it looks two-dimensional. It's just a wall with um, with a kind of, with a storefront that is closed with chains hanging down. And I kind of zoomed in and took a picture of this. And it's interesting because my friend was saying that it's not really two-dimensional from his perspective. From my perspective, I can't even see the angle that the camera is in. From my perspective, it just looks like a weird abstract two-dimensional image. And this reminded me how schizophrenics do not see optical illusions. And it goes into my theory that illusions develop as essentially perceptual norms, that we expose ourselves so frequently to a perception that it kind of has an autocorrect in our brain. We kind of pull up imagery uh, based on seeing these kind of visual cues that make us assume a lot of the details. So for example, in this case, this image for my friend, he is recalling a more fully developed image simply because he has learned the more fully developed image. And at first I took this as evidence that I might be psychotic in that moment. But then when I looked deeper, my friend, uh, he mentioned how he works daily among doors and chains. Uh, this uh, the, he, he works among an environment where that image is extremely common. And so from his perspective, he can actually see the angles and different things involved in this image, whereas I can't because I haven't yet developed 
a normalized perception. I haven't developed an illusion yet. And then it made me realize, what if everyone worked at his job? Then it would be very strange of me to have this different two-dimensional perspective, and people might become worried that this is a problem. And that kind of blew my mind, because it made me realize that that what schizophrenics are undergoing during psychosis is that their difference in culture might be sending them into isolation, for which they unlearn all of the different um, norms in the mainstream culture that they're being rejected from, or even that that might be the basis of their rejection because they may be just naive. They may be new to the culture and that culture is essentially sending them into culture shock. And and in this, in this way, culture shock and psychosis might be a very similar and related concept. So it's really fascinating because I think all of the social norms, all of the perceptual norms based on what the most frequent cultural habits are, I think that the schizophrenics are just not undergoing those same habits. I think that it could be that there are genes that make them aversive towards those habits. and. For example, novelty seeking is related to schizophrenia, and I think that people with this trait may tend to uh, um, deviate from from everyone else because they are actually seeking new things. They're seeking deviation on some level. And I find it really fascinating because there would be a kind of feedback loop where the more that this person deviates, the more that they will not spend time with anyone involved in the mainstream culture because those people will be xenophobic towards the difference that this novelty seeker is developing. And I think this is the case with a lot of mental illness because the, tr the genes involved with this kind of exploration tendency are um, linked to all these disorders outside of OCD, which I actually think is almost like an opposite end of the spectrum. I think OCD is so, so, so okay, I won't go too much into that direction for right now. Um, and here's another thing is I think that those with a novelty seeking trait will um so there's evidence that these people came from a genetic background of migratory uh, uh migratory tendencies so those who migrated further are more likely to have the gene and i think what the gene really does is make it so that you learn or adapt or familiarize with something more rapidly and i think the benefit of that under migration circumstances is that you can adapt to an environment more quickly and move on because that's that's what you're doing so like say you settle at some campsite for a day and you're an ancient human and you would more quickly assimilate to this new environment and that helps with survival 
because quick learning is beneficial, you will more easily navigate this new environment uh, because it becomes a familiar environment. It becomes home more quickly. But at the same time, this sense of boredom will sink in more quickly as well. And I think it's not just boredom, but I think that depression, um, ADHD, and uh, even schizophrenia is partially related to this mechanism. I think depression is when you have not been able to satisfy your craving of novelty. I think with the schizophrenic and ADHD, it's a little bit different. I think with the schizophrenic that it's it's almost like a changing the settings on your camera. So this quick learning thing, I think when you sit in one place for too long, the quick learning really develops into something much more intense. So I think that what essentially happens, it's like if you turned the exposure up on your camera. So so this may help at nighttime where it can help uh, with taking pictures in very low levels of light. And I think you can make an analogy where these low levels of light are very similar to a low level of exposure to the new environment. So this low level exposure idea, um, turning up the exposure will make it so that you can more more effectively um, create a perspective out of the low level of information essentially. In both cases it's a low level of information. In one case it's because you keep changing your environment to where you don't let the information settle in enough and and even with the camera if you turn the shutter speed to a long shutter speed it allows more light to come in which is kind of a similar concept but if you do this during the daytime then uh, you will have an image that is just pure white it'll be just all the light has equalized to the maximum level of light. You will have just a blank image because it's too much light, that there is no contrast, no distinction between things. And I think what happens with those who have schizophrenia, it's essentially the same idea, but daylight in this case is when you stay in the same environment for longer periods of time. And... I think that there, what will tend to happen with these people, not just, so I think the rejection, the cultural rejection is a separate issue than the one I'm describing now. I think both of these problems exist, but they're separate problems. So, so I think when these people are creating their culture, and not even just culture, but their understanding of their environment. If they sit in one place for too long, everything will become hyper-connected. And I think this is what will result in stuff like conspiracy. Or if they're into religion, they will take it very far, much further than the average person. They will start to form crazy theories, essentially, about whatever they're doing. Because it's like they're accumulating light or information it's such a uh, an enhanced rate and even this alone will probably cause them to deviate from the mainstream culture and 
I think ADHD is very similar, except I don't think that, I think that there's a tendency for them to get really, uh, I think the responsiveness to staying in the same spot, I don't think they accumulate nearly in the same way. I think there's something about schizophrenics where they remain sensitive to the familiar environment on some level, but maybe that's not the case. I think it could just be that they, um, it could even be that there is an overlap with like ADHD and bipolar where it creates a kind of hyper learning loop where um, they're already, so I think the bipolar people have this kind of sensitivity uh, that's different than the ADHD people. I think the ADHD people are sensitive under circumstance of novelty and then they get really desensitized to the familiar and get really bored. Whereas I think the bipolar might have a more consistent interest in everything, but also enhanced responsiveness to novelty as well. But I think that's what sends them manic. I think mania is like an extreme form of ADHD. And then with depressed people, it's like the deprivation of novelty. So it's kind of like ADHD in a sense too. And I think there's a lot of overlap here. And I think that the bipolar people can go either way. They can be super ADHD or super depressed. And then the schizophrenic might tend to be hypersensitive and extremely novelty seeking to where they kind of dig themselves into rabbit holes of culture, their own developed cultures where they become alone. They're like having a religion that they're isolated in. Imagine, imagine being the only Muslim or the only Christian. You will be completely rejected, especially if everyone else is Christian and you're the only Muslim. We even see this trend in America where conservative Christians are against Muslims. And I think it's not really different here, I think that the schizophrenics really have a kind of, um, oh, I forgot what I was going to say, but, but I really think this idea with the camera shutter speed and exposure is a really good way to picture what's happening with these people. I think it's because of migration, evolving to deal with migration has led these people to develop these tendencies where when they're placed in a very stationary society, they essentially go insane from the boredom or they become uh, hyper-developed. Like the schizophrenic seems to get hyper-developed about nuances and details that everyone else is ignoring because, um, I don't know, well, I don't know if they're ignoring, but... um, Okay, so another idea I want to get into, this is going to get a little bit weirder, is that there's kind of correlations with liberalism and migration traits, and that migration gene that I'm talking about is linked to liberalism. And then OCD is specifically not linked to that gene, that that the people without that gene can develop OCD. And I think there is some correlations that, um, so, so like with depression and, um, OCD, um, both are often thought of as having low serotonin levels and, 
depression tends to have that migration gene, whereas OCD doesn't. And I think with OCD, there's like, I think there's a lot of similarities to the kind of way that mainstream culture behaves. Like, for example, mainstream culture tends to operate on memes and repetition, which I think are really, I think religion and routine and repetition and, uh, um, I'm trying to think of the other word, uh, but it doesn't matter. So just this idea of, um, repetition, like, uh, tradition and all of this, I think that the, I think this is pretty much a result of the coping mechanism of being in a settled society. I think that the kind of slower or less exposure means that you can repeat that same meme over and over and it's still funny. It's It takes a longer time for you to develop a tolerance. And and even that idea about tolerance is interesting because that gene is linked to stuff like drug addiction. The migration gene is linked to drug addiction, and it's probably because their tolerance for things increases, and then they start doing drugs, and then they need to keep taking more, and etc. Whereas I think those with the kind of um, more mainstream uh, culture mentality will... Uh, have a less tolerance for uh, the repetition of things, the repeated stimuli, and I think this is necessary for the society to remain so massive. I think that I think it's not realistic for a a large number of people to be thinking like those migratory types. I think that. So, so even that itself, um, we know that Neanderthals, for example, have this migratory gene and that they remained in smaller groups, uh, social groups, and they seemed to be more individualistic. And I think that it is directly related that people who go too deep on something on their own will like every amount of every second that you spend alone with these kind of deeper uh this kind of rabbit hole mentality you you are definitely going to deviate from other people and i think that so there's some evidence that shows that these people also, the people with this migratory gene are less xenophobic. They tend to be more open to strangers at a younger age. And it makes sense because you have to be open to each other if everyone is being individualistic because you're all different. You can't be afraid of the differences if the tendency is that everyone will become different. And I think that this kind of difference in mentality shaped the way that Neanderthal culture was. And I think that it's not exclusive to these people. Like, so I don't think it's exclusive to people with Neanderthal genes. And I don't even think that this tra- these traits are exclusive to any one particular gene. I think a ton of different genes could theoretically manifest in the same kind of end result of 
of what these traits are, the, these exploratory and novelty-seeking type traits. I think that these are just the ones that we know about most commonly. And where was I going to go? This is all a crazy rabbit hole already, isn't it? Um, so this, I hope this isn't, this episode isn't too similar to the xenotypy theory. It kind of is, but I think it provides another kind of perspective and it actually has a lot of new ideas that I never even thought about. Like in the xenotypy theory, I got really anxious that, that IQ might be based on on a combination of these genes that allows people to kind of um, have a faster learning mentality, but also not go crazy. And that kind of is like the whole madness linked to genius idea, but it gets more disturbing because there's correlations with, um, like, like just to relate it to, oh no, my dog just to relate it to people who have Neanderthal DNA is very problematic because then that essentially involves like race and also cross-species hybridization. It gets really weird. And I don't think that these genes are exclusive though, for one. And I also think that IQ is an absurd concept. I think what the reality of it is is that those so so for example we see schizophrenics have much lowered IQ and they also have these accelerated learning genes that I make a claim for and I realize that IQ is probably based on having a sufficiently privileged environment that allows you to kind of make take advantage of these genes and that these genes don't inherently make you smarter or anything like that. I think it's more so that, um, I think it has to do with the level of not being stressed out, for example, having a life that isn't horrible, uh, that doesn't slow you down. Nutrition is obviously an element, and I think that those with schizophrenia are likely the least privileged types who have these genes. And that makes sense because of the link to immigrants and um, minority groups. It, it seems more to be that, um, I don't know. So I'm trying to think where I was going to go with that. So, so I don't really think that luckily... I don't think that these um, genes really lead to um, IQ, really. I think it's more that, like, if you have the, let's say the migratory gene is linked to essentially curiosity and exploration, I think that those behaviors will lead to um, good things if you're in a environment that you have the highest education or the freedom to actually engage in exploration, which requires money. Um, I think the lack of stress, I think stress would cause people to tend to go towards the psychotic realm. 
and a defensive realm, a kind of negative bias realm. Um, and I think really the difference isn't really accelerated. I mean, it is accelerated learning in one sense, but it's a problem when you're in an environment that is not accelerated, essentially. It actually results in um, lowered IQ under those circumstances. So I think really it all just comes down to people being in their proper environments. And I think that... Uh, I'm going to kind of go off that topic now. I think I think... I think we could even end it here. I'm going to leave you guys with a speech made by Terrence McKenna that I thoroughly enjoyed. I have definitely... Uh, I definitely agree with a lot of what he's saying here. Um, especially that I think there is this dynamic where... A culture at large, like let's say a church, if you oppose any of their beliefs, they will um, target you and reject you and try to eliminate all of your ideas from the idea pool. And the reason for this is because the idea pool of the church is based on a collective of people agreeing on the same facts and this agreement is comforting you have a sense of worldview and understanding that is validated by the masses that you surround yourself with the lack of disagreement is euphoric in itself the lack of cognitive dissonance in essence and so those who oppose the mainstream ideology will be met with severe resistance from the collective where individuals will tend to um, shout dogmas and others will validate the dogmas without any kind of rational thought because it's not necessary to get rational thought you just need a collective of people rejecting that person to feel validated it will be assumed that there is some rationality behind these thoughts but none of the individuals will admit what that rationality is it is like uh, imagine if you had a genius leader and the genius leader says something that you enjoy thoroughly because it supports whatever bias you have, then you will um, shout with this idea and you will accept it be simply because you think the genius has enough authority to make these claims. And so I'm going to leave you this episode with a speech by Terrence McKenna that is highly relevant to this topic. I actually haven't heard this until someone told me about um, the speech as I was telling him about the ideas in this podcast, which uh, I really liked the way the speech went. It actually was kind of validating for me, funny enough. But um, here you go, Terrence McKenna. 
Now, schizophrenia is a similar thing. I can remember an experience I had years ago. I was in the Tolman Library at the University of California, um, which is the psych library, and I was looking up some drug or something, but then, and I just saw a book, and I pulled it off the shelf, a book about schizophrenia, and it said, uh, the typical schizophrenic lives in a world of twilight imagining, marginal to his society, incapable of holding a regular job. These people live on the fringes, content to drift in their own self-created value system. I said, that's it. That's it. <laughs> now I understand. Um, we have no tradition of shamanism. We have no tradition of, uh, men, uh, of journeying into these mental worlds. We are terrified of madness. It, we fear it because the Western mind is a house of cards. And the people who built that house of cards know that. And they are terrified of madness. Uh, Tim Leary once said... Or I gave him credit for saying. He later told me he never said it, but whoever said it, this was a brilliant statement. Someone once said, LSD is a psychedelic substance which occasionally causes psychotic behavior in people who have not taken it. Right? And I would bet you that more people have exhibited psychotic behavior from not taking LSD but just thinking about it than ever exhibited it from taking it. Certainly in my family, I, I watched my parents both go psychotic from the mere fact that LSD existed. They would never have taken it. There is a great phobia about the mind. The Western mind is very queasy when first principles are questioned. Rarer than corpses in this society are the untreated mad because uh, uh, we, we just we can't come to terms with that. A shaman is someone who swims in the same ocean as a schizophrenic but the shaman has thousands and thousands of years of sanctioned technique and tradition to draw upon. In a traditional society if you exhibit quote-unquote schizophrenic tendencies, you are immediately drawn out of the pack and put under the care and tutelage of master shamans. You are told you are special. Your abilities are very central to the health of our society. You will cure. You will prophesy. You will guide our society in its most fundamental decisions. Contrast this with what a person exhibiting schizophrenic activity in our society is told. They're told, you don't fit in. You are becoming a problem. You don't pull your own weight. You are not of equal worth to the rest of us. You are sick. You have to go to the hospital. You have to be locked up. You are on a par with prisoners and lost dogs in our society. So that treatment of schizophrenia 
makes it incurable. Imagine if you were slightly odd and the solution were to take you and put you, lock you into a place where everyone was seriously mad. That would drive anyone mad. If you've ever been in a madhouse, you know that it's an environment calculated to make you crazy and to keep you crazy. Uh, it, this would never happen in, in an aboriginal or traditional society. I wrote a book, I mean this has to be the wrap up because we're over time, but I wrote a book called The Archaic Revival. I signed it tonight for some of you. The idea there is that we have gone sick by following a path of untrammeled rationalism, male dominance, attention to the visible surface of things, uh, practicality, bottom lineism. We have gone very, very sick. And the body politic, like any body, when it feels itself to be sick, it begins to produce antibodies or strategies for overcoming the condition of dis-ease. And the 20th century is an enormous effort at self-healing. Phenomena as diverse as surrealism, body piercing, psychedelic drug use, sexual permissiveness, jazz, experimental uh, dance, rave culture, tattooing, the list is endless. What do all these things have in common? They represent various styles of rejection of linear values. The society is trying to cure itself by an archaic revival, by a reversion to archaic values. So when I see people manifesting sexual ambiguity or scarifying themselves or showing a lot of flesh or dancing to syncopated music or getting loaded or violating ordinary canons of sexual behavior, I applaud all of this because it's an impulse to return to what is felt by the body, what is authentic, what is archaic. And when you, when you tease apart these archaic impulses, at the very center of all these impulses is the, the desire to return to a world of magical empowerment of feeling. And at the center of that impulse is the shaman, stoned, intoxicated on plants, speaking with the spirit helpers, dancing in the moonlight, and vivifying and invoking a world of conscious living mystery. That's what the world is. The world is not an unsolved problem for scientists or sociologists. The world is a living mystery. Our birth, our death, our being in the moment, these are mysteries. They are doorways opening on to unimaginable vistas of self-exploration, empowerment, and hope for the human enterprise. And our culture has killed that, taken it away from us, made us consumers of shoddy products and shoddier ideals. We have to get away from that. And the way to get away from it is 
by a return to the authentic experience of the body. And that means sexually empowering ourselves, and it means getting loaded, exploring the mind as a tool for personal and social transformation. Uh, the, the hour is late. The clock is ticking. We will be judged very harshly if we fumble the ball. We are the inheritors of millions and millions of years of successfully lived lives and successful adaptations to changing conditions in the natural world. Now the challenge passes to us, the living, that the yet to be born may have a place to put their feet and a sky to walk under. And that's what the psychedelic experience is about, is caring for, empowering, and building a future that honors the past, honors the planet, and honors the power of the human imagination. There is nothing as powerful, as capable of transforming itself and the planet as the human imagination. Let's not sell it straight. Let's not whore ourselves to nitwit ideologies. Let's not give our control over to the least among us. Rather, you know, claim your place in the sun and go forward into the light. The tools are there. The path is known. You simply have to turn your back on a culture that has gone sterile and dead and get with the program of a living world and a re-empowerment of the imagination. Thank you very, very much. Thank you.